It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. One thing I reflect a lot on is our tendency as human beings in this digital age and probably way before that. I mean, this is this is not a new thing for us is our fear of other people's judgments about our appearance and the trend that I mean, I've witnessed off and on for as long as I can remember of people talking poorly about themselves because they're kind of anticipating that somebody is going to think poorly about them. It's almost like, hey, let me announce my insecurities before you catch them. Because maybe if I can tell you that I know I'm not perfect, then it'll prevent me from being judged by you or something. And I was witnessing this in someone today that I was going to do a video recording with who, who said that they weren't sure about being on camera because they looked haggard. And I immediately thought, like, this is before they had even turned their camera on. And before I could even have a chance to look at them as a human being, they were setting me up for this expectation that they didn't look good. And I'm really fascinated by this because I think most of us struggle with these insecurities about our appearances. And it's something that I want to be more and more vocal about. Earlier today, I was thinking, about how we judge each other for our ages. We either think that we're old or we think that we're young. We like to point out when we are talking to someone who's younger than us or older than us. We do so many things to try to prevent age from appearing on our bodies, from dyeing our hair to using face creams to getting surgeries to wearing makeup to the clothes and accessories we use to the filters and the Photoshop and all of these different things that we do to manipulate ourselves. I think a lot about this in the context of being a content creator. One big thing, I can't remember if I brought this up yet, but uh, I believe I maybe have a little bit how as I get older and start to get gray hairs, and I've been getting gray hairs, I think my very first gray hair I got in 2012 but it it was years. It was like I spotted it and then I didn't see any others for a while. And then like, you know, they slowly start to come in and everybody gets gray hairs at different ages. It has a lot to do with genetics from what I understand, but some people get gray hair when they're really young. So gray hair isn't necessarily an indication that you're getting older, but we have culturally, many of us, this big fear that people are going to see us and perceive us as old. So we want to hide it. And I've been thinking a lot about as I get more and more gray hairs, like, hmm, if they become super noticeable, will I want to dye my hair? And deep down inside, I don't want to. I really don't want to. I've never liked dyeing my hair. Back like many years ago when I was doing it just for a stylistic choice, I liked playing around with it. I think when I was like in my teens, I would do it because I just enjoyed experimenting. You know, it was fun to get the DIY boxes at home. There was also this one spray that you could put on your hair that would like lighten it. And it was just fun, but it was also even back then, of course, 
thinking about like, how am I going to look best? What can I do to make myself look pretty? And then when I was in my early 20s, I would go and like get my hair professionally dyed. But then I felt really irritated because I didn't like it when the roots started showing because I would have to go and get it redone. And then I was like, forget it. This is too much of a pain. I don't want to go to the hair salon every two months or whatever it is. Because by the way, I only get my haircut on average every nine months. I'm like, I have, I wait into the longest amount of time until I can't take it anymore. I'm at that point now, but it's actually at the time of this recording has been almost literally a year since I got my haircut because of COVID. My last haircut was March 3rd, 2020, I found, and we're recording this on February 13th, 2021. And I, I'm definitely starting to feel like it's time for me to go in. But even that I was thinking about, like, who says it's time? You know, I can easily hide my split ends these days. And also, why does it even matter? My mom one time years ago commented, I had done a video with Facebook and they, it got shared around a lot. And in that video, I had really long hair. I don't know if I had like split ends, but my hair was like super long at that point. And when I showed my mom this video, she was like, great, but your hair looks really long. And I forget what comment she made, but it was some like comment about my hair just not looking very stylized. And I remember feeling like insecure about my hair for a little while after that. And I I think it comes up a lot. Think about my hair from time to time, but like I'm only thinking about it in the context of how somebody else views me. I'm only thinking of it in terms of my fear of judgment and this whole idea of wanting to present myself in the best light. But deep down inside, I really don't give a fuck. I don't care what color my hair is, how long it is, whether I have split ends. It doesn't have to look perfectly shiny and perfectly styled. I don't care about my eyebrows. I don't care about all of this shit that we've been trained to care about. And then when it comes to age, like all of these fears around getting wrinkles and the the lengths at which women and men in some cases will go to hide or fight against their wrinkles from expensive creams to surgeries to Botox. It's like whatever we can possibly do to try to pretend like we're not getting older, as if getting older is some curse. And so this episode isn't just about age. It's really about our general fears and insecurities around the way that we look and how other people perceive us. And I just want to start off by saying, like, why do we care so much? Why do we spend so much money and time trying to change ourselves? And why do we say such negative things about our appearances that other people might not perceive at all? But it's almost as if we're trying to control other people's minds and and opinions on us, or I guess it's both. It's like we're either trying to get them to think better about us, or we're like pointing out what's bad about us that they probably wouldn't have noticed if we hadn't pointed it out. So how does that even serve us? I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy for a lot of reasons. And so is my girlfriend, Laura. We watch a lot of stand-up and she's turned me on to a lot of great stand-up comedians. And one of the things that we've talked about is how a lot of great jokes come from pain. And that I think to your point, Whitney, at the beginning of this podcast, you talked about how people announce the things that they are insecure about so that other people don't point them out. But I think that in some ways, there's sort of two sides of the coin, I think, and in relation to stand-up comedians, 
some of the funniest stand-ups are very self-deprecating about how they look, their appearance. And I think on one side of it, it is based in pain. It's based in being made fun of for a long time. I mean, I, I had a joke in my first stand-up set, you know, which you've been to a lot of my stand-up shows over the years. And when I was doing the circuit for a good two and a half years, one of my jokes was that I looked like the love child of Gonzo the Muppet and Gerard Depardieu because I have a big nose. My, I have a very, I have big nostrils. I have a big nose. And this was one of the jokes that I was working into my set from time to time. And it's based out of pain. One of the things for my physical appearance that I, not so much now, but especially when I was younger, was my nose. I do have an unusual looking nose, I suppose. It's been broken. There's a slight bump in it. I have larger nostrils than the average person, whatever the fuck that means. But I was really mercilessly teased for my nose when I was a little kid. I got really self-conscious about it to the point when I was in high school, Whitney, when I was a freshman in high school, I remember talking to my mom about going to get a nose job. I considered it for a few years. I don't know if I've ever told you this, is that I really, for probably three years, was like, I think I'm going to go get a nose job because I was just relentlessly teased about it. So when I do my stand-up and I, I make jokes about my appearance, it's based out of pain. Absolutely. And it's partially what you said about announcing it first before anyone else points it out. But it's also, it's also for me, taking back my power. That's also a part of it, is that if I own the fact that I have a quote big nose and I'm okay with it and I can make fun of it, it takes the power away from some other person going, wow, your nose is so big. So there's two sides of it, but it really is coming out of a place of pain and being ridiculed for something. And I think what this highlights is, the oppression of standards. You and I have talked about this in previous episodes of how women and people who identify as women are subjugated to their value and their worth based on their physical appearance. I think men are too. Because I remember as a young man looking at things like like Men's Health magazine and seeing God, you know, get six-pack abs in two weeks and please her in bed all night long. And so it's not just women, it's men too. It's are you sexually satisfying your partner? Are you looking good? Are you adhering to the beauty standards of society? And we're really oppressed to look a certain way. But I want to go back to something, and, and this isn't to like take you to task, Whitney, at all, and it's not to like see if you're actually going to follow through with this. That's not why I'm about to say what I'm about to say. It's more of a curiosity thing. When you said, I don't really give a fuck, and you were saying, yeah, my eyebrows are a little bit more bushy, and I haven't cut my hair in nine months, and I just don't fucking care. My interpretation of it similarly, too, is right? like. I let my beard grow long. It's patchy. I sometimes there are days when I don't even comb my hair. The t-shirt I'm wearing for anyone who's watching the video format of this, I've worn this same t-shirt for three days straight. I'm not wearing deodorant and I don't fucking care. But the reason I'm bringing this up for you and for me is we can talk this when we're still in COVID and we're still in quarantine. I'm curious if the attitude you're bringing up for yourself of not giving a fuck is going to translate when and if we do something like Expo East as an example where typically you and I do dress differently, we present ourselves in a certain way. Is this sort of not giving a fuck attitude, do you think it's going to translate when the world, quote, opens back up and we're doing more professional public events? Do you think you're going to be able to carry that energy into those type of experiences? That's a great question. And to be clear, when I say I don't give a fuck, it doesn't mean that I'm not doing some of those things because I do still wear makeup. Sometimes I use filters. For example, it's hard to do videos for this channel without feeling insecure about the way I look. It's nice to use features like Zoom where they have built-in filters that kind of smooth out your face. 
it's not that I don't do those things and it's not that I don't want to. It's just that deep down, I understand that it doesn't really matter. That's the differentiation and why I want to bring this up is it's like we have been programmed and conditioned and it sucks because I think for all of my life, I'm like, this is all bullshit. This whole desire to manipulate ourselves to try to please others. I think as a woman, as we've talked about, there's a lot of pressure on it. And I often think about like, have women just been completely manipulated to adjust their appearances as sexual objects? Yesterday, I was looking at some new pictures of the Kardashians because somebody on TikTok had pointed out this one picture of Kendall Jenner, who it looks like she might have photoshopped herself, but it's really hard to tell because she's a really tiny, thin person. Like She's very, very skinny. And this picture makes her legs look really long, her torso look long, and she's got like zero fat on her body. And I saw it and immediately thought, oh, she must have photoshopped this. But then you can see these videos of her behind the scenes. And I'm like, maybe she actually does look that way. It doesn't really matter necessarily if she looks that way. But unfortunately, a lot of women look at pictures like that, regardless of if it's photoshopped or not, and think like, I want to look like that too. And then I think about like, why are women like the Kardashians so popular? It's like right now, those are, for many of us, whether we fully realize it or not, those are our cultural beauty standards. And so those women, you know, it's speculated that they have had a lot of work done on their bodies. They obviously have a lot of money, so they have a whole team of people working on them. I mean, beauty is generally very expensive and thus inaccessible. And so it's, first of all, there's a huge divide but behind like celebrities who it's their business to look that good but sadly by looking that good all the time and having access to looking that good all the time whether it's digitally altered or not the entire world is kind of encouraged or at least in the states I shouldn't say the entire world in the US like that is the beauty standard but and so logically unless we constantly check in with ourselves and recognize that's not really accessible or desired Like, even if I had a lot of money, do I want to sit down in a chair and have someone do my makeup and hair every day? Probably not. Like, seems like a complete waste of my time. And and it's like, what is the point of it is the big question for me. Why? And then the other side of it is I was thinking about them, but also this there's this new music video that Ariana Grande put out and I was watching it. And it's just so sexualized. Like a lot of the big music stars right now are just like, All they're doing is talking about sex and it's like, cool, but like all these girls look up to these women and the outfits they're wearing and like, you know, TikTok, it's like everybody's showing their ass and their tits and they're just like wearing these scandalous clothing. And I'm not saying this to be prude because I personally think whatever expression of yourself you want to do is great, but we have to look at the reasons why. And like, are we truly choosing it as like a women's empowerment thing? Or have we been conditioned to believe that's empowering when really we're just manipulated to be sex symbols for men's entertainment? And when you see, you know, documentaries like Free Britney, again, it's like, was she just being manipulated her entire career to be a Lolita type when she was younger and then to be this big sex symbol? Was she actually choosing that or was somebody choosing that for her and she got so much attention and money and success from it that it felt good? 
And I think that's the big thing too. You know, the other documentary that we're going to be discussing soon on the podcast is, I think it's called Childhood 2.0. And in that documentary too, they talk about like what's popular in social media. It's generally girls who are showing off their bodies. And so are they doing it because they feel empowered or are they doing it because that gets them more likes and attention? And the other side of it, which we'll discuss in that upcoming episode, is like that huge stigma we have right now where men really want girls to send them photos or videos of them naked or in sexual acts, but then they're shamed for it. You know what I mean? It's like there's punishment and there's judgment on all sides of this. And I really think it's important that we step back and ask, like, what is this all for? You bring up the dichotomy here, right? Because I think that there's two sides of it. And you you nailed it, Whitney. It's it's doing these things under the guise of taking my power back, women supporting women, feminine empowerment on the one side. But then you see that there is very much a primarily white male controlled capitalist system who is driving us to continue to reinforce the value that this is how I make money. And this is my value in the world by continuing to reinforce these tropes and these stereotypes of the sexualization of women, because that's what we're talking about. Can it be both? Yes, I think it can be both. And I also think, though, that the danger in all this is when perhaps someone gets to a point where they no longer want to participate in that system anymore, or to your point about ageism, that they get to a point that there's a certain age where they believe they're no longer desirable. I mean, there was a really interesting Saturday Night Live skit that if we can find the link, we'll put it in the show notes at wellevator.com. Our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And in the show notes, you'll find references to everything we talk about in today's episode. There was a, I don't know if you ever saw this, Whitney, but a few years back, there was a skit on Saturday Night Live with Amy Poehler and some of the other actresses on Saturday Night Live called Last Fuckable Day. And Amy Poehler went on the media after this and said it was really hard. Like it brought up a lot of pain and shame for her because the whole, in summary, it was, it was these women basically saying like at a certain point in your forties, I think like there's a day when like, that's the last day you're going to be fuckable. You're going to be desirable. And Amy Poehler was like, it hit really hard. Like it hit way too close to home for her. And I think it, it does reinforce this almost desperation since we're on this subject of, of being treated as a sex object, that I better cash in while I'm still desirable. Because there's a fear that someday society will no longer value me anymore because I won't be sexually desirable anymore. And all of the beauty standards and all of the cosmetic surgery and everything we're talking about, maybe, not for every woman, but maybe for some people, a subconscious desperation to stay desirable and sexually attractive because that's how they make money. And maybe there's some day where I won't be desirable by society's standards anymore. I mean, it, so on the one hand, yeah, it could be empowerment, but I think there also could be a lot of desperation and fear behind it of, I need to make bank on my appearance while I still can. How does that land for you in terms of the ageism in all this? Just as we created that reality for ourselves, we can take it away. Right. And so we have to remind ourselves that we are playing into this and we do have power. It's not going to change overnight. You know, this is not like that simple, but it's just like social media. It's yeah, social media has, has 
has impacted us. There's a lot of dangers to it. If you're not okay with those dangers, you can step away. It will have consequences. I mean, just like this. We talked about, I think, in an episode with Tony Akamoto. You know, she was sharing, I think it was in the joint episode because Tony's been on our show twice. And I think it was in the joint episode with Michelle where she's talking about how there's so much pressure in terms of our appearance and you might not get business opportunities if you don't look or act a certain way. And at the end of the day, like deep down, I'm like, fuck it. Like, just like fuck people who don't want to date me because of my age or appearance. Like, those are not for me. That's what I mean by fuck it. Like, it's not for me. Again, I'm not saying I'm 100% there. I'm not saying that I haven't done things to manipulate my appearance. Sometimes I do want to fit in. Like on Clubhouse, like my current photo is is an edited photo of me. I like the way it looks better. I feel more confident with it. I like the way it's displayed. I played around with a few others and I was like, no, I'm going to use this one in full acknowledgement that it's an edited photo of me. I do have an issue with that though. And I hope that I can get to a point where I can proudly share and confidently share a photo of myself on those platforms and not use it as like a marketing tool for myself. Like I understand the reasoning. I understand the game. I understand why people choose to present themselves in a certain way. But deep down inside, I don't want to do that. Deep down inside, I want someone to be able to see a photo of me or a video of me, no matter how I look, and still appreciate me, take me seriously, respect me, whatever. Because that to me is freedom. It is a cage, especially as all of us are getting older. Like none of us can escape age unless we die. All of us are on the same path. It impacts all of us. So when you start manipulating yourself to a certain point, you're kind of like going to be stuck there for a long time unless you choose not to. It's not like you can just suddenly remove the filters and no one's going to notice. Like at a certain point, it's all or nothing. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And that's why you see some people that are older that are like, they've had so much work done. Or another example that comes to mind is the woman um, from Dance Moms, Abby Lee, I think is her name. She got called out recently. I don't know how old she is, but let's just say she's in her 50s. She got called out for using filters and she got angry at people for telling her not to use filters. And she was like, how do you think I feel? Like I want to post photos of myself on, on Instagram and I don't feel comfortable not using a filter. And again, my point here is not to judge or shame people for using filters, getting work done, makeup, all of these things. That is a personal choice. The issue that I have is how that degrades our, our self-worth. The issue that I have is when we don't feel confident because of how we look. And I also have an issue with the cruelty that we say to ourselves. Actually, on a clubhouse last night, it was kind of interesting. Um, I think her name is Randy, Randy Zuckerberg, which I barely even know about her, but I'm assuming based on her last name that she's Mark Zuckerberg's sister, but I, I couldn't tell you. So <laughs> I'm going to look this up to be sure. But all I know is that people were really excited. Yes, she is the sister of Mark. She came on Clubhouse last night and was being interviewed by Damon John, the CEO of FUBU, who's known for being on Shark Tank. And he was welcoming her to Clubhouse, as we often do on that platform. And then Lewis Howes, a big podcaster, popped in and was asking her questions. And I thought one of her best answers was 
that she doesn't talk kindly to herself. And she was just very transparent admitting it. She's like, the things I say to myself are really sad because I will beat myself up so much and call myself all sorts of names. When somebody says those things, it's very relatable, but I think it's still very acceptable. And that's the other issue I have here. It's acceptable to say cruel things to ourselves. It's unacceptable for many of us to say cruel things to others. We will get called out. We will get canceled. But when you say cruel things to yourself, nobody seems to care. They're like, cool, beat yourself up all you want. I want to see that stop. Like, I don't want to say cruel things to myself. What is the point and the purpose? And then even worse, to publicly announce that, I'm not trying to hide it. I'm trying to change it. I don't want to say it out loud to others. I don't want to say it quietly to myself internally. I really wish that more people would be kinder to themselves because it's a huge part of our mental well-being. And I think it has so many ripple effects, Jason, that we can dive into here is that when we talk poorly about ourselves, I think we limit ourselves in a lot of ways. We self-sabotage. And we also might start to act out towards others because that self-hatred hurts. That self-hatred is not a good emotion to be carrying around with yourself all day, every day. And I think that is sometimes part of the reason that we are cruel to others, humans and animals. I think that's why we say we don't give a fuck because we're so unhappy. What does anything matter? And I think that's also why we love tearing down other people. It's because when we are well aware that we hate ourselves, it feels really good to see somebody else's downfall, which is a huge issue. It's like, okay, I hate myself. So what if I know somebody else hates themselves? Or what if I know that somebody else hates somebody else? It's like, how can we collect more hate? How can we collect more misery so we don't feel alone? The misery loves company thing. It's a huge issue, but yet it's also so culturally acceptable. I'm curious when Randy Zuckerberg talked about this last night in Clubhouse, how did people like Damon and Lewis and other moderators, how did people respond to that comment? I don't remember. That's the only thing I remember from it. Okay. So there wasn't like this really big, empathetic, relatable, oh yeah, I can relate to it. There's okay. I wasn't paying that close attention, to be honest. (laughs) I just heard that part and I think I left shortly afterwards. You know, my curiosity in, in all of this is I think that for a lot of people who are really famous and popular and wealthy and influential, there's a reticence in a lot of people to admit things like this. So I think it's awesome, first of all, that Randy Zuckerberg talked about this. My curiosity would be to see how her contemporaries or her peers or moderators responded to the comment. But I think you're, you're right on, Whitney, in the sense that if we are having an internal life of self-immolation and flagellation and being punitive and hateful toward ourselves, of course that's going to color our interactions with the world and other people. It has to. And I think also this cycle of being really cruel to ourselves makes us really vulnerable to a lot of the marketing tactics we talk about on this podcast of people preying on our not enoughness. And I think a lot of marketers know this. I think they know that people feel really awful about themselves And they know that people are just looking to feel better about themselves, right? They are. Whether that's a course, clothing, a new car, 
more makeup, surgery, any of the things we're talking about. And I'm, and I'm saying this with compassion because I have beat myself up really badly for a long, long, long time. So I can relate to the desire to fill the void inside of myself with something external, something material, something that I think is going to make me feel better about myself. But in my personal experience, the $500 jacket and the brand new car and you know the $5,000 course and the whatever it is, yeah, it, it's like a drug high for a little while. You do feel better for a little while. It's like, oh yeah, I've got this cool new thing and I feel better about myself and da-da-da. But I think if the baseline of your conditioned behavior is being really cruel to yourself, those things are not going to take away the mechanism that is driving you to be mean to yourself. A Lamborghini and a Fendi bag and hair plugs and a nose job are not going to suddenly change the voice in your head that says, I'm a piece of shit. It's not going to change the voice in your head. In fact, it might make it worse in some cases in the sense of like, wow, do I deserve all this? I think that's a big part of it too. If someone really is unkind to themselves and suddenly they find success, material wealth, fame, etc., there can be a really kind of dangerous offshoot that's even beyond imposter syndrome of, I don't deserve this shit. Why do I have this stuff? It doesn't make you feel better about yourself in the long run. But ultimately, this is how a lot of our commerce works in this world, is the illusion that the new shiny object or shiny object syndrome is going to suddenly change your relationship to yourself. And things don't change your relationship to yourself. And you know, to your point, Whitney, it's, the question is then, well, how do we be kinder to ourselves? And for me, since this is something endemic to my personal growth and personal journey, I've had to come up with pattern interrupts and also, also looking at where that voice comes from. Because I've had therapists ask me, where do you think that voice in your head comes from? Of you're not good enough, you're a piece of shit, you should do better, whatever permutations of that voice, right? And I've thought a lot about that because it wasn't anything parental. My mom and even my father, even though I had a strained relationship with him, there was never any language directly of you're not good enough, you're a bad kid. There was nothing like that. I think to me it was, and that voice is really something that is trying to protect me. I think that voice exists because it's this idea of, okay, you don't feel good enough. So, hey, if you make more money and you are a greater version of yourself, we hear this conversation about greatness, right? To bring up Lewis for a second, you know, this idea of the school of greatness and be greater and be better and be up, all of these messages. I think for me, Wit, the cruelty in my head is, hey, if you just make more money and you're more successful and people really value you, it goes back to, again, you'll never be abandoned. If you're in a clubhouse room and you have 5,000 people and they're listening to you, guess what? You're so valuable. You'll never fail. You'll never be abandoned. You'll never be ignored again. And I think if a lot of people were super honest about it, and I've said this before in different ways, their relentless drive to succeed and win is based out of trauma. It really is. I'll feel successful when I have this amount of money, this amount of followers, this level of fame. I'll never be hurt again. I'll never be abandoned again. And this desire for non-disturbance in our lives, right? Once I just have everything in order, I'll never be fucked with again. So my, my internal cruel voice, I think, is just trying to protect me. And I'll have conversations with that voice in my head of like, I don't need your protection. I know what you're trying to do right now. 
I know that that you're trying to protect the scared, wounded little boy inside of me, but I don't need your help in this way. Like I have to sit down and have like verbal conversations with these voices in my head. Because if I don't, they will run the show. They will absolutely run the show if I don't have these conversations. So I think part of it, Wit, is getting to the core of why we talk so cruelly to ourselves. And I think if there's an awareness around it that I'm still working on, then it's like, okay, how can I talk to this part of my psyche and say, it's okay. I don't need you to keep me safe. I don't need you to somehow inoculate me against the, the pain of the world by getting all this stuff. It's one of the biggest things in therapy for me right now. It's hard. When you've had a mechanism for decades of your life thinking this is going to be the thing that's going to protect you, and then realizing that shit doesn't protect us, it takes a lot to undo it. Thank you so much for sharing that, because I, I think this is such an important conversation, and it's not, it's not easy, right? Like The steps towards making these shifts are, as we always say on the show, it starts with awareness. If you're listening to this right now, and you're thinking, that's me which probably everybody listening, let's be honest, is going to say, like, I don't think I've ever met anyone who feels 100% great about themselves. I would love to meet someone like that. So if you, the listener, are one of those people or you know one of those people, please let me know because I'd be very curious. I think there are people that are closer to it. I think there are people that are more at peace at it. I think there are people that are practiced at it. And then there are some people who are really good at hiding it. And the aim for me is not to hide it. The aim is to really shift it because hiding it from other people still doesn't serve me. I'm just pretending. It's like, I think people perceive you and me, Jason, like, oh, we're so confident. We have a podcast. We have a YouTube channel and Instagram on and on. Like, you know, they hear me on Clubhouse and they perceive me as whatever. I don't even know because I'm not the person perceiving me, but I've got comments like that, especially through Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a skill of mine speaking as a skill. We've also recorded almost 200 podcast episodes. So skills are made over time. We've been in thousands of YouTube videos and TV shows and on and on the things that you and I have done, Jason, like for any of the listener who is listening to us or anybody who sounds really skilled, it's a practice. And please, you can go back to the early stages of my YouTube channel. You will see I have not always been this way. We have not always been great with our podcasts. If you listen to the first few episodes, like it's an evolution. In fact, actually, one thing I'll link to in the in the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com, which again is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you click on the podcast section, you get the entire transcript of this. So you can find segments that we talked about. You can find the resources that we link to, videos, whatever we mention. We put everything in our show notes thanks to our team. By the way, Anyone else who's impressed with this show, hopefully you are, be nice from my ego, but <laughs> we have a team, so we can't even take all credit for it, right? We don't do that. We have an incredible editor who's listening to this as we're speaking, editing it and making the show notes. So that's the other thing that we have, to, just like Kim Kardashian has a team to make her look pretty, we have a team that, that helps us make our show look nice, right? And that stuff takes money, that takes resources, so we have to look behind the things and recognize it. If, if we were all stripped down and, and truly equal in terms of our finances and our resources, like we would all probably look very similar to one another. The, the challenge is these days, people have access to different resources for different reasons. And we have to keep that in mind. 
But anyways, what I will link to in the show notes is this TikTok I saw yesterday about The Simpsons, and it was so well done. It was a picture of the very first season of The Simpsons. And Jason, I don't know if you remember this. I think it was like 1989 or something that they came out. Totally. On the Tracy Ullman show. If you look at the drawing, which you can you could just look it up, or you can go watch this TikTok I'll link to in our show notes, where they show that as compared to where The Simpsons are now in 2021. After all these seasons of developing these characters and their appearance, and the point of this video was to just start doing something, even if you feel like it looks like shit. And I think that is phenomenal business advice. Because part of this challenge that we're discussing right now, Jason, is not just about our personal life. People are terrified to show their imperfections in their business because they're so afraid of being judged. And you hear this too, like, oh, my product isn't perfect. I know. Like people just immediately want to tell you their imperfections constantly. And I think that vulnerability is wonderful. It's not that I don't like the vulnerability. I think I want to hear tons of vulnerability, right? But when you put an idea in somebody's head before they even have a chance to develop the idea for themselves, it's so manipulative on some level. Like, let me make sure you know it's not perfect. Let me decide for myself because my definition of perfect could be so different. And what if my perception of you is just full appreciation and love and respect? What if I don't see any imperfection? And a lot of the times we actually make it worse by pointing out imperfections because we're injecting that into somebody's mind. So it doesn't help. I think if somebody comes to you and says, hey, like your drawing for your TV show looks a little rough around the edges. Is that something that you're opening to changing? As a Simpsons artist, I'm sure, who knows, back in 1989, like the standards are very different. But my point being is like, I'm sure they were aware that it wasn't perfectly done. But it takes so much work to do things that sometimes something has to go. And I think it's so uh, incredible to see how things evolve and for us to give each other a chance to evolve. But then the other is true too. When it comes to our appearances, if we can start to shift our perceptions of age, if we can shift and have more grace for the fact that people don't always wear makeup, don't always brush their hair or get their hair cut, don't always have great clothes on, don't always have fresh, clean clothes on, all of these standards. I think most people have had a point in their life where they're wearing dirty clothes, had unbrushed, uncut hair, weren't wearing makeup, didn't brush their teeth, like, you know, all of these little check boxes we have for our standards of appearance. Most of us look like that or have gone through that at some point of our life so we can all relate to it. And so why can't we just be accepting that somebody is going to be looking different at different points? What if we stop putting pictures of celebrities without makeup in magazines and saying, look, they're just like us? Like, I mean, in a way, that's kind of cool. But I think part of the point is, as I was saying before, is to make somebody feel better by showing a bad picture of somebody, which is really fucked up. But also like knowing that in all these different phases of our businesses, we will go through perceived highs and lows. The Simpsons, yes, their animation might have drastically improved, but perhaps their storyline is not nearly as good as it was in 1989. So the opposite can be true too. And that's about age. That's about getting worn out. That's about doing a lot of things and being lacking creativity. Like 
I think ultimately it's about our deep fears of being judged for not being perfect and, and our delusional ideas of what perfectionism is, which we never really achieve. So we end up beating ourselves up all the time because of this bizarre idea of perfection. And if we can never achieve it, then why are we chasing after it with so much desperation? It's a good question. Why are we chasing perfection? There's a lot to that. There's a lot to the idea of maybe confusing ideals with perfectionism. This is something I've been thinking a lot about, that there's a lot of confusion with those two terminologies, Whitney, that I think for me and a lot of people may get those two things confused as being synonymous. You know, having an ideal in your mind and a standard of perfection. And I want to make a distinction with how I'm thinking about this when I get into perfectionistic thinking is for me, having an ideal in my mind's eye is much more healthy and sustainable than chasing some idea of perfect. And here's, here's what I mean by it. And this is my own take on it. An ideal is not necessarily, for me, something that exists in reality. Or maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it could be an ideal for me would be I want to be as compassionate and unifying and action-oriented and minimalist as the Mahatma Gandhi, right? I want to lead with that level of compassion and love and whatever. It doesn't mean I'm trying to be perfect and I'm, I'm going to be compassionate and loving in every moment, right? Not this perfect state of in every human interaction, I need to open my heart and be compassionate and all those things. Is it an ideal that I strive for? Yes. But is it something that if I'm chasing a perfection and I need to be like Gandhi, as an example, that I'm going to beat myself up when I'm discompassionate or I say something cruel to someone? I think perfection is different in the sense that we have something that's more maybe material and concrete of I need to look a certain way, be a certain way, have a certain thing, then I'll be fully loved and accepted. And so to me, an ideal, it could be looking at someone like Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad or one of the saints. I, I'm using all of these maybe religious or spiritual examples, but to me, I think it's healthier to have an ideal of how we want to be in the world rather than perfection, which to me feels much more tied to, as you're saying, appearance, material possessions, position, and status in the world. Whereas an ideal, in my mind, is more about how I want to show up, regardless of how I look, my material possessions, my status. So I think ideals feel much more sustainable to me in how I'm trying to conduct myself. Like when I see a person that I deeply admire, and I think I want to be more like that person, it's not about trying to absolutely be exactly like them, but seeing how they show up in the world and seeing how I can maybe more embody that. Does that make sense, the, the differentiation between the two? Okay. Yeah. I, I just I feel like ideals are something that feel more grounded to me, whereas perfectionism feels like an endless chase. It's just an endless chase. But we get those messages, right? From like celebrities, you know, LeBron James, as an example, talks a lot about how he's chasing Michael Jordan. He wants to win as many titles as Michael Jordan. He wants to surpass Michael Jordan. Or in different industries, we talk about the whole chase for making more money and being the biggest corporation in the world. I just feel like perfection. Or I remember Lexus. Do you remember in the 90s and the 2000s, the car company Lexus, their tagline was the relentless pursuit of perfection. And that always pissed me off. Even as a kid, I'm like, there's no such thing as a perfect car. That's so subjective. But that, I remember one brand, that was their thing. The, they don't use it anymore. 
but they did for years the relentless pursuit of perfection. It's like perfect as a concept, Whitney, is a completely subjective evaluation. There's no objective perfection. Like your idea of a perfect body or a perfect home life or a perfect relationship is different than mine and different than our parents and different than it's just there's no such thing as absolute perfection. It's kind of it's a word that I would like to delete from my vocabulary, to be honest with you. I really don't even want to use the word anymore because I feel it's valueless. I don't feel the word perfection has any value to me, truly, unless we're talking about it in a referential context like this. But colloquially in my day-to-day life of like, and we think about it, how subconsciously we use it like, oh, that's perfect, perfect, excellent, perfect. We use it all the time. But to me, it's a fucking throwaway word. It's a throwaway word. There's no such thing. The other point I want to make, since we brought up LeBron James, I was um, watching a basketball game the other day, a Lakers game, and noticing how LeBron's hair has changed over the years. And that in his early days, LeBron was starting to go bald. And he had some sort of hair treatment that has restored his hair. His hair is very different now. And the same thing with Elon. We talk about Elon Musk a lot. If you look back at the early days when Elon founded X.com and PayPal and sold it, there's a really interesting video of him buying his first McLaren F1 on YouTube. And Elon was losing his hair. like He was going completely bald. And then a few years later, when he reemerged and sold PayPal, all of a sudden he had hair again. And I'm bringing this up because, first of all, I think men are very much subjected to attractive sexual attraction standards in the same way women are. That there are physical attributes of masculinity and virility and strength and sexual power. And hair is a big one of them. It really is. I mean, why do hair plugs exist? Why do hair transplants exist? Why did someone like LeBron James or Elon Musk, two men that are worth billions of dollars, decide to get these surgeries or whatever they got? I haven't researched it, but you can see over the course of history, their hair has changed. And I bring this up, Whitney, because I had a moment last year, about a month into quarantine, spring of 2020, where I had an audition. And my girlfriend, Laura, was helping me record this audition video. And there was a part of the audition where I had to give them different angles of my body and my face. You know, it was straight to camera, reading the lines, doing the audition. And then they said, you know, turn to your left, do a profile, turn to your right, do a profile, and then show us the backside of you. And when I reviewed the video after we shot it, before I submitted it, I had a moment, I had like a holy shit moment. Because when I turned around to the back shot of me, when they had me spin around, I said, oh my fucking God, like my hair is really thinning. Like I looked at my hair for the first time and had a holy shit moment. Like I might be going bald. And it's really fucked with me this past year. It has fucked with my perception of my desirability. It's fucked with my perception of feeling like I'm not going to be desirable anymore. I'm getting older, as you were saying. And it's the first time I had a moment of, oh, God, I need to do something. And so I actually went on and I bought a hair treatment. I've been using a hair growth treatment for about six months now that I use every single night. I put it at the crown of my head. It seems to be working somewhat. I don't know what the ultimate result is going to be, but I'm saying this just to go back to like, I feel this pressure. I don't want to lose my hair. And it's like, well, why don't you want to lose your hair? Okay. Well, I've identified that my hair is some sort of external social marker of youth, health, virility, and sexual desirableness. And that if I lose this and I go bald or I decide to shave my head, I'm suddenly not going to be valued as much or as attractive as much in society. Because there is a standard of 
virility and strength and men who have hair. And there's still a script in society about that. And so I bring up LeBron and Elon as two big examples and cultural figures of men who were losing their hair and spent however much they spent to get their hair back. And I've had moments of thinking, Whitney, if these hair treatments don't work and the supplements I've been taking, and I talked to my hairstylist, Brandon, about it, and if this doesn't work, would I go get hair plugs? Would I go get a hair transplant? Would I spend that money? And if I did, would that be me capitulating again to these manufactured standards of beauty and strength and desirability? And I say that just because I haven't talked, I have not talked about this publicly at all, but it's something that's been fucking with my sense of self for the last year almost. When I had that moment of, oh shit, I'm losing my hair. It was a painful moment for me. Wow. It's really interesting when you hear people that you care about say things like this because I don't think about your hair at all. I don't think less of you, but I don't even notice. I remember actually a couple of years ago, Jason, that you were nervous about this photo I had taken of you where you, your forehead had wrinkles. And I was like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> First of all, I want to acknowledge you because certainly I'm not trying to convince you. Otherwise, your feelings are valid. But second of all, just that reminder to you and everybody is like, most of the people that really care about you don't notice those things or they do, but they just don't matter. I'm serious, Jason. Like I literally have not noticed. I notice when your hair is like really big and bushy and out of sorts. If somebody had said, is Jason's hair thinning? Like I'd be like, no, <laughs> like I had no perception of that. And I think that's a huge part of this discussion. It's like a lot of these things people don't notice. The opposite can be true too. I have a scar in my face. I literally notice it every few years, maybe. Like I just completely forget that I have a scar in my face because I'm so used to seeing it. And some people say that we have no idea of our beauty because we're looking at ourselves every single day. Like we're so used to ourselves for better or for worse. We just begin to feel either really bad about ourselves or very neutral. And beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. And I think ultimately, a lot of this is based in capitalism. If we can just keep people feeling bad about themselves, they will buy products that their hair do doesn't thin. They will go and they will dye their hair, which costs a lot of money. Like, I don't even know what it is because I don't dye my hair. But, but if you're going to go to a salon, I think it's like $150, $200, maybe more, depending on where you go. Like, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to buy new clothes and wash, like even washing your clothes can be expensive. You know, like all of this shit is like, it's just expensive. So if you really look at it, like if you're going to a laundromat, they want you to go there frequently. If you're buying a new washer and dryer, they want you to buy one that promises something. That, let me just say, by the way, like washing your clothes is important. I'm not saying don't wash your clothes, but I'm saying like some people are are afraid to wear a shirt twice in, in a row because what if somebody finds out that their shirt was worn multiple times? You know what I mean? Like, is that part Not of, me. <laughs> is that part of this capitalistic mentality? Like, it's also like people that don't want to wear the same shirt in a photo twice. So messed up. Like, it's so messed up. And you respect people, I think like Mark Zuckerberg, who they just buy a ton of the same shirts. I don't know if Mark does this for sure, but I'm pretty sure people like him, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, fuck it. Like, 
I'll just buy 20 of my favorite shirt and just wear that all the time. It takes the pressure off. And I think that's really it about owning things. Also on TikTok, I think you can get really lost in all this. Right now, skinny jeans are like not in. I love skinny jeans. I'm going to fucking keep wearing skinny jeans. I don't give a shit if I look old. Like, it's so fucking dumb. If those feel like I literally, I most, I specifically like skinny jeans with elastic in it. And also, I'm not going to go buy new jeans. I'm not going to go spend new money for some fashion reason. It's so fucking dumb. I'm going to wear my clothes until they're completely worn out and I can't wear them anymore or they're not comfortable or I personally don't like the style. I'm not going to go buy new clothes because somebody on TikTok told me it's not in style anymore. Like that's, it's just so fucking insane. It's outraging. All of this, this is coming back to what I said in the beginning, Jason. It's like deep down inside, I don't give a fuck. Sometimes I superficially give a fuck, but deep down inside, I really don't. Like all this appearance stuff. It's like, I just want to be left alone to look how I look, show up how I want to show up, be authentic to who I am. Much easier said than done. I don't like getting camera ready for our our video podcasts. And I'll be on here like today. I feel semi-confident. I did, by the way, brush my hair and put on some makeup and change my shirt because I felt more comfortable today doing that. But I might look back at this footage and beat myself up like I did the other day. There's this one video podcast that like, I can't stand the way that I look in it. And I'm terrified of someone seeing it and being like, wow, she looks old. Wow, she looks chubby. Wow, she looks this or that. And it's like, that is so stupid because I want to put out videos. I want to just fucking do it because I can't assume that people are going to think one way or another about me and I can't control them no matter what they think. So when we talk poorly about ourselves when we make decisions based on our appearance, we are assuming how somebody's going to perceive us, but we have absolutely no idea and absolutely no control. So we might as well just show up however the fuck we want to. Well, that's a wrap. (laughs) I mean, that's fantastic advice, Whitney, because at the end of the day, we're the ones living with ourselves and the voices in our head. We're not going to bed each night laying down with the people on social media. We're not going and laying down with the CEOs of these corporations. We're not laying down with the social media magnates. This all comes back down to our relationship with ourselves. And I think that for me, the word that comes through with what you just said in this whole discussion, Whitney, is really about liberating ourselves. It's about liberating ourselves from these illusory standards, these illusory ideas of perfectionism of fitting in, of trying to be like everyone else. And there is tremendous power and freedom in saying, fuck it, I just don't care anymore. I would go on to say that is one of the greatest positions of power other than unconditional acceptance and love for oneself, and maybe then by proxy to extending that to others. The concept of really not caring what others think of us, and also to an extent, not caring about whatever embedded standards are inside of us too, independent of other people. Just really the liberation that comes from saying, I really am going to practice, because to your point, what we're talking about sounds simple, but this is not easy. If this was easy, we'd have a world full of people who didn't give a fuck and would be completely independent and completely sovereign and completely free, but we don't. We have a a world of almost 8 million people many of which are struggling with self-worth, struggling with the perception of who they are, struggling with feeling good enough. 
So it's not like, hey, I'm going to go to a weekend seminar and feel good. This is years of hard work to unravel what we're talking about. But I think it's some of the most important work that we need to do on this planet. And to your point, Whitney, I just feel like there's a deep peace that I'm starting to feel more of the more that I let go and stop giving a fuck and just accepting who I am. And it's hard, right? The hair thing for me right now is really tough. And it's a deep one. And it's good, though, because it's giving me a lot of practice to say whether I have or don't have hair, it doesn't make me less lovable and it doesn't make me less valuable. And I have to remind myself almost every single day of that. So the repetition and the practice and the experimentation are the foundations that Whitney and I are trying to strive for and have those ideals, right, of loving and accepting ourselves. That's an ideal. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect at it. To just kind of tie this up maybe in a bow at the end of this episode, we're not trying to perfectly love ourselves. We're not trying to be perfectly accepting of ourselves all at all times, but it's an ideal to liberate ourselves. It's an ideal to be more self-accepting. It's an ideal to stop giving a fuck. And these are deep, deep ideals that we think are extremely valuable for the human experience. That's all I have for now, Whitney. Anything else you want to add at the end? (laughs) Well, with that, dear listener, we have an upcoming episode as Whitney teased in the very beginning of Childhood 2.0. Whitney has already seen it and she had like some oh shit texts that she sent to me last night. So I'm actually going to watch it this afternoon and we're going to be back in another episode coming up really, really soon where we're going to do a deep dive and an analysis of this documentary. I'm excited about it because I hope that I'm going to learn more about the neurological biochemical benefits of how this is reshaping childhood and changing children's brains and changing their emotional wellness. And this is something that we're both becoming incredibly passionate about. So I'm looking forward to watching it, Whitney. And for you, dear listener, again, if you want to dive into any of the deeper research of our show notes, you can go to, again, our website, wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And if anything we mentioned resonates with you, if you are feeling this conversation of not enoughness, you're trying to liberate yourself, you can always shoot us an email. It's hello at wellevator.com. We love those personal emails. It's actually one of the things that keeps us going when we get those heartfelt, deep, raw emails from you. So if anything vibes with you, you want to have a conversation, you want to bounce anything off of us and just have a real human supportive conversation, shoot us an email. We're always available for you. And with that, thanks for not only getting uncomfortable with us, but thanks for holding space for a lot of the uncomfortable shit we share from our own lives. It's kind of painful and scary sometimes to share some of the things we do, but I ultimately feel that in doing so, by all of us doing so, we're healing the collective. We're healing the entire human experience. So with that, we love you. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening and supporting, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.